going to be looking at a few of them over the next few weeks. Uh, but before we get into the I am statement that we're going to be looking at this evening from Christ, uh, I've got kind of a little funny story. I'm not usually one to do this, but I found this uh, story uh, from a Facebook post. So I'm in a lot of Facebook groups and stuff uh, from youth ministers, and this was on one of those posts. Uh, and they were talking about things that happened to you whenever you were in middle school. Uh, and I thought this one was funny, and it applies to kind of to what we're talking about tonight. So listen to this. And this is what this guy wrote. He put, when I was in sixth grade, something happened to me that changed my life forever. There was this huge change in my life that I was not too happy about at first. But looking back on it, it really changed everything. Now, when I say I was not happy about it, I mean I was devastated. I just couldn't believe it. I cried for days. I resisted until my dad had to corner me and had to reveal to me that this change needed to happen so badly with me. That he couldn't take it anymore. He said everyone around me would say the same thing. See, in sixth grade was when puberty started to hit, and I was smelly. The change in my life that needed to happen was that I needed to start wearing deodorant. Now, I didn't know what this thing called deodorant was, so when my dad told me I had to put it on, I freaked out a little bit. It was really, listen to this, it was in a spray bottle, it was weird, and for some reason I thought it stung, so when my dad tried to put it on me, and I got scared and ran from him, I was bawling my eyes out. Weird, I know. My dad cornered me. I'm kicking and screaming, not wanting this mysterious substance on me, and my dad grabbed me, lifted my arm, and sprayed the stuff on me. Once he did, I stopped. I just couldn't believe it. I was in shock. I froze. I thought, this smells delightful. <laughs> it didn't hurt at all. I just wanted to eat it at that point. It smelled just like coconuts. I was walking around school like a tropical paradise the next day. <laughs> All right, so it was a total... All right, here's the kind of the ending. Here's the ending. I want you to listen to this. It was a total transformation from smelly preteen to handsome Old Spice guy walking on a beach. All right. Say, so why did you share that story? All right, well, so the story I just shared, this guy... Now, it's a really a silly example, but it applies. Uh, he experienced a transformation uh, of his bodily odor, okay? Now, tonight we're going to be looking at... Uh, Statement in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're probably thinking about what does this have to do with body odor and deodorant. We'll get it all tied up here towards the end. But we're talking about transformation. We're talking about change. Now, the dictionary, if you look it up, defines transformation as a marked change, as an appearance of character, usually for the better. And in that story I just shared with you all about this guy, his dad saw something in him that needed to change. He said, son, you stink. You need to start wearing deodorant, right? And he knew what was best for his son in that time. Now, I know this is kind of a silly example, but on a much more serious note, all right, now, now, now lean into me, listen up. On a much more serious note, God, all right, listen up. God, our Father, knows what's best for us. And he calls us to be transformed by him. And oftentimes, we try to resist. We try to resist transformation that is good for us both here and now and for all eternity. And a lot of us, you know, we may not admit it, but sometimes when we hear about change, it scares us. Hey, you think about it. What is it about changing? What is it about change in life that scares us so much? I want you to think about that. You see, God wants our lives to look radically different. If we come to Him, all right, listen up. If we come to Him, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we're to look more like Jesus. Yet sometimes we resist that. Oh, we try to figure it out on our own. We try to go down our own way our own path, and figure this thing out. 
But Jesus is saying, as he says in this passage here, he's saying, hey, you can try your own paths. You might try and dream up your own ways. But when it comes down to it, I am the way, the only way. And you might have this verse memorized, but I want us to, to dig into this passage here in John chapter 14 tonight. So uh, verse 6 is the, the verse you might know, but we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. And Scripture says this. It says, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does this work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So, just a little backstory here for, for this uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying tonight. Uh, if you read the chapter before, so we're in John chapter 14. You go back into John chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is kind of coming to the end of his life. He knows the cross is waiting at the end of the road. He's telling his disciples in this last supper that he's having with them that, hey, I'm about to be you know, betrayed. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to hang on a cross and die. And it's just not clicking for him. He even goes so far, he washes their feet in this time. He shows them that he had come to serve and not to be served. He, he, like I said, he predicts his death. He says, hey, you're going to run. You're going to scatter. There's probably a lot of tension in the room at this point. A lot of anxiety, a lot of worry amongst these 12 guys that had followed Jesus for three years. But Jesus in this time, he's comforting them. He's trying to tell them, hey, don't worry. Trust in me. He's like, I know what I'm doing, so trust in me. He told them, hey, follow after me. Do what you've been doing. Continue after me. But as we look at this night, before we can talk about being transformed into the person Jesus desires for us to be, we need to be aware of some things that might keep us from doing so. You might say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I, I trusted in Jesus. I got saved. Hey, that's awesome. But the process is, hey, you trust in Jesus. There's a point that you trust in him, but it's a process of you becoming more and more like him each and every day. And there might be some things that God might be asking you to do right now in your life that you're resisting. Some changes that he might be calling you to make, and you're like, just don't know about that, God. So we're going to kind of look at that and break that down tonight. You see, change, it can be stressful. Even whenever we desire change, we might say, hey, I want to change some things in my life. I need to start some new routines. I need to start some new habits. I need to get rid, you know, get rid of some bad habits in my life. But it can be tough. In fact, there's a saying now in neuroscience. Now, neuroscience is the study of your brain. So when I say neuro, that's your brain. There's a little medical thing for you. There's a saying in neuroscience that says neurons that fire together wire together. So I'm not a brain scientist, brain surgeon myself, but your neurons in your brain, when they fire together, they wire together. You learn behaviors, you learn habits. They could be good habits and behaviors. They could be bad habits and behaviors. For example, a behavior, a habit that I have that I'm not very proud of that's a bad habit is I bite my nails. Okay, maybe we've got some people in here that bite their nails. All right. And I've tried to, like, kick the habit. It's, it's a habit that's hard to break. It's a change that I've tried to break 
I tried to make over time, but it's hard for me to break that. And when it says neurons fire together or they wire together, this means that the more we do something, get this, the more it becomes not only a habit, but it becomes biologically ingrained. All right? You see, and we try to resist changes at times. And we know that there's going to be things in our life, or at least I hope you know, that in life there's going to be change. Change is inevitable. There's things that's going to happen throughout your life. Many of y'all, you're in middle school, you're in high school. There's going to be changes that happen in your life over the next few years. For those of you that are in middle school, you're going to be going to high school here in a couple of years. For those of you in high school, you're going to be going off to college or going into the workforce, starting your careers. Changes like that. There's going to be changes in uh, how you live your life down the road. Maybe you, uh, you get that job. Maybe you get married. Maybe you have children. Change is a part of life. It's inevitable. All right? But a change also is a part of the Christian life. And that change, as far as following Jesus, it's more than just, hey, Jesus, I believe in you. I've trusted in you. And when I die, I go to heaven. It's daily becoming more like him. It's a big part of his plan for us. In fact, Scripture talks a lot about God changing us. It talks a lot about him making things new. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, at the end of the book, says that he's going to make all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that anyone that is in Christ is a new creation, a new creature, meaning you've changed. You're not who you once were. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says that inwardly we're being renewed, also known as changed, day by day. We're being renewed. And now when we submit to God, change is going to happen. But we might try to resist it. And the question is, what do we do? How do we overcome that resistance? Those times we try to push back, we might know, hey God, I know you might want this to happen, but I'm just not feeling it. I'm kind of resisting what you're calling me to. And it's tough. It requires us to surrender. It requires us to lay our lives down. And that doesn't come easy. And we're not always going to get it right. You know, we're in these fleshly bodies, and as long as we are on this earth, in this carcass, if you will, we might have trusted in Jesus, but as long as we're in this uh, body on earth, we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to struggle with dying to ourselves every single day. It's not going to be easy, but it is what we're called to. And there's probably dozens of reasons that we can think of, of why we resist change that God might want in our life. But tonight I want us to just look at three specific things that keep us from being transformed by God. The kind of three things that I'm sure as you hear these, you're probably thinking, man, this, this kind of hits the nail on the head. Three things that, where I kind of resist. So instead of talking about what you want to do, here's what I want us to do tonight. I want to talk about the things that keep us from following the way, that keep us from following Jesus. So I'm going to have like, I know I don't have note sheets for you, but if you want to make some mental notes, you want to get a notebook, you want to jot these down, just a couple quick points. So you're thinking, what are things that keep us from going all in from Jesus? What are things that keep us from following him and trusting him with the change that he might want to make in our life day by day? Well, the first thing is this. It's ignorance. Now, I know when you say ignorance, that might be kind of a, a, a bad word. It doesn't sound very nice. But ignorance is simply that. We don't know what to do. It's a lack of understanding. We don't know what to do or uh, what we can become in Christ. And one of his disciples was like this. Say, what do you mean? Well, in that passage we just read there at the beginning in verses 5 through 7, Lord Thomas said, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know, if you don't know what to do, you might feel like, hey, I don't understand this whole Jesus thing. I, I kind of understand if I believe in him and put my faith in him that, 
you know, when I die, I go to heaven. If that's the extent, maybe you just like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do in the in-between? Hey, Thomas was there. Thomas was like, hey, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Where are you going, Jesus? I, I don't get this. You see, he had followed Jesus for three years, and he still didn't know. He still didn't get it. He was with Jesus every single day. He didn't see that Jesus not only was there with him, but Jesus was the actual way. You get that? It's not some cliche saying. Jesus saying, hey, I am the way. The answer is right in front of Thomas all this time, and it's right in front of us, too. So, okay, Jesus is the answer. You gave me the Sunday school answer, Barry. I get it. Jesus is the answer. That's what you say in church. But what does that really mean? Sometimes in church we we have we have a good good we do a good job of having these little cliche sayings we have these little uh, things that we say but we really don't really tease them out of like hey what does it actually look like Jesus is the way Jesus is the answer how does that apply in my day in and day out life because hey Barry you know uh, I I go to school uh, I've got temptations uh, I got friends uh, hey how does following Jesus what does that really look like okay, you may say I because I, I just don't get it is it just coming to church. Is it just trying to be a good person? Like, what does this really mean? And what this means is we must be close to Jesus. As close as we can get. Learning from Him. Listening to Him. Obeying Him. Then we're going to step into the life He desires for us. But it's like this. I want to ask you this. Be kind of, you might have some eyebrow reasons. But is Jesus, is Jesus your rabbi? What are you talking about? I'm not Jewish, Barry. Well, as I've told you before, Jesus was. He was a Jewish rabbi. And in Jesus' day, students, disciples, I, you see, Jesus wasn't the first person to ever have disciples, in case you didn't know that. Rabbis would have disciples. And they would, they would invite these people to come along and walk with them, walk closely with them, live with them, learn from them, follow in their steps, learn their teachings, learn their writings, learn their ways. And that's what Jesus' invitation is to you and to me, is to be close to him, to make him our rabbi. We're following step by step after him. You see that statement we see from scripture in Scripture from Jesus, you know, where Jesus goes to the disciples before he, when he calls them, he says two little words to them. He says, follow me. That, that was a common phrase used by first century Jewish rabbis to call someone to follow in their ways. And that invitation is still extended to you. It's extended to me 2,000 years later from Jesus Christ. Follow me. Follow in my footsteps. Learn after me. Say, so what do we do? How, how, how do I do that today? How do, how do I make Jesus my rabbi? I'm not in uh, Israel 2,000 years ago, Barry, walking in uh, my Jerusalem cruisers in my robe with Jesus on the dusty roads like Peter and James and John and the boys. We can still follow Jesus as our rabbi today. We do it by this, by studying his word, by, by having a deep appetite for the things of him, by knowing his word, studying it, digging deep in it, by worshiping him. Not just whenever we're in this room on a Wednesday or over there on a Sunday morning or at winter retreat or at camp, but worshiping him in private, praising God, worshiping, sitting at his feet and obeying his commands. That was a big thing of rabbis. It was, hey, obey and do what I tell you to do. And the same is for you and for me. Are you obeying what he said of himself, what he's called us to in the Bible. So we see first that, you know, hey, oftentimes you just don't know what to do. Well, tonight I'm kind of telling you, hey, here's what you do. You sit with Jesus. You learn who he is. You study his word. You dig deep. You sit close with him. You spend time with him. Make him your rabbi. 
But the second thing that sometimes holds us back, and this is a big one, I think, is fear. Man, fear, fear is a big thing in our world. It has been for forever. Man, fear is one of the biggest tactics that the enemy tries to use against you and me every single day. And there are many reasons why we might be afraid. Many reasons we might even be afraid of allowing God to transform our lives. Maybe we're just afraid of change in general. We're like, hey, I like my life the way it is. I don't really want to change things. We're afraid of the unknowns, the what's to comes. Hey, we might not like the fact that if we trust and we go all in for Jesus Christ, we aren't going to know every single step of the path. We're not going to know every single step of the journey. But here's the thing. We don't need to know every step of the journey because we know that He is with us every single step of that journey. We give Him control. We think we need to know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, before we let God change it, but that's not how it works. Our responsibility, and hear this, is to let go. Let go of our lives. Surrender our lives and trust that God's ways are far better than our own. Trusting that His ways are better than our own. You see, here's this. Listen. I put this in my notes. Fear, listen, fear at its core is an absence of trust. You get that? Being fearful, being filled with fear, it's an absence of trust in God. You see, if we trust God, there's no place for fear. But if we're afraid, that shows us that we're not truly trusting in Him. And we might be afraid because change means we might have to give some things up. Some things that we know that are sinful, some things that we know that aren't good for us. That, that, that sin that we don't want anybody else knowing about, that thing that we enjoy, the thing that nobody sees, that we think, man, this, this is satisfying me, but it's lies from the enemy that's leading to destruction. You might be afraid you actually have to give those thoughts up. You might be afraid, hey, I have to give up on that relationship with that guy or that girl. That, that thing that I look at on my, on my phone at night when nobody else is around. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't want to give it up. You like it. You, feel, you trust in it. You found identity in it. You found meaning in it. You like doing those things despite the God is creating you for something more, something bigger, something that's got lasting impact for eternity. You're fearful of giving it up. But here's the wonderful thing about our God. He's with us. and He's walking with us as we, He transforms us. He doesn't leave you to try and figure this thing out on your own. If you come to Him, if you know Him, and you submit to Him, He's going to change you. He's going to transform you. He doesn't want to leave you where you were. I heard it said this way, that Jesus saves us where we were, but He doesn't leave us where we were. But fear, sometimes it'll paralyze us. But we need to move past the fear. Because we know that whatever change God wants for us is something better than what we can come up with. What God has in mind for your life, get this, his plans are far better than your own plans. See, oftentimes we think we make plans for our life. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to live here. I'm going to do this for a career. I'm going to go to this school. How often do we actually go to God on that? Say, God, wherever, I'm submitted to you. And that, that's, that's, that's where it requires us to trust and submit to where he might be calling you to something right now that is scary. But are you going to trust him? Or are you going to go down your own path? 
And if you truly trust Jesus, you'll believe that he has what he has to say about fear. Because he's with us. We don't have to be fearful. We can trust in him. And in, in, in this passage that we looked at in John 14, Jesus continues talking to the disciples. And in John 16, he even talks about fear. He tells his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, guys. John 16, verse 33, he says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Basically saying, hey, don't be afraid. I've conquered the world. When fear rises up in you, trust in him. When fear rises up, cling to Jesus is what he's saying. And you see, you might already know this, but the phrase, fear not, fear not, is in the Bible 365 times. 365 times. It's 365 days in a year. Once a year. One day. Fear not. And I think God did that on purpose. I don't think that's any coincidence or some kind of happen. I think God is trying to remind us, hey, if I'm with you, fear has no place. But are we going to be afraid of the unknowns? Or are we going to fill up our trust tank and trust in God who's going to be with us? So we've talked about sometimes it's ignorance. Sometimes you don't know what to do when it comes to following Jesus. Sometimes it's fear of the unknowns. And the last thing is this, is apathy. That's kind of a confusing word maybe. But apathy is defined as this. It's defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. A lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Basically, I don't care. That's, that's, that's the Barry Ross definition of apathy. I don't care. It's this feeling of, hey, I'm okay where I'm at right now. I don't need anything else. You could be at the bottom. You can just be like, I just really don't care. You could be spiritually dead. You're just like, I don't really matter. Or you might feel like you're in a good place. You might say, hey, I'm in a good place spiritually. And you're like, hey, I'm good with God. I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, I don't really need to get closer to Jesus. I'm good. You don't want to grow. You don't want to become more like Jesus. So you don't mind staying there. You're just like, it doesn't really matter. But here's the truth about being transformed by God. I've got this one on the screen. You're either moving towards Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. There is no middle. There's no, there's no spiritual fence straddling in the kingdom of God. Jesus even says it. He says, hey, you're either for me or you're against me. You can't be like, you know, I'm just going to like hang out here in this gray area where I'm just kind of like, whatever. It's all chill. It's all cool. I don't really have to obey God. You know, I mean, hey, I, I prayed a prayer. I got saved. You know, I'm just going to do my thing. That's not how it works. You're either moving towards Jesus each day or you're moving away from him. And even when you have that apathetic attitude, and we don't care about growing in our walk with God. Really, you're walking backwards. There's no middle. You're going towards Him, you're going away from Him. The Bible puts it this way in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. It says, I know your works. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. <coughs> so because you're lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Jesus? This is what apathetic faith looks like. You're not hot. You're not cold. 
just kind of in that lukewarm, middle-of-the-road path. <coughs> if something is cold, it's refreshing. It can, provide, it can provide energy. When something's hot, it can warm us up. You see, y'all know me. I'm a self-proclaimed coffee connoisseur. Nobody orders lukewarm coffee. All right? Now, when you go to Starbucks, you go to the coffee shop, nobody walks in there, you order, you, hey, you go to Starbucks to the drive-thru, you say, hey, I want caramel macchiato. They don't say, would you like that lukewarm with some, like, clabbered milk in it? What do you want, you weirdo? No. They say, would you like that hot or iced? Or if you're really basic, a frappuccino for you weirdos that drink frappuccinos. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> but the point being, all right, all right, so hot or cold? You see, because if you get your, 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 your coffee and it's lukewarm, if it's room temperature, it's just blah. It really is. Think about it. I don't know how many of y'all drink coffee consistently, but I mean, I have a bad habit of doing this. Like, I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning and I'll start drinking it. It's hot. It's good. It's warming. It's refreshing to my soul. It's getting the energy mud in my system, getting me going for the day. But... I might have something that I have to go do, and I set that coffee down for a few minutes, and I go back, you know, a little later, and that coffee's at room temperature. Put it in the microwave. And I can't, I can't put it in the microwave. I do that sometimes. You just reheat it. But sometimes, if I'm in a hurry, and I just need to get the coffee in my system, I'll just down it right quick, and it's lukewarm, and it, it's not good. But you just, like, force it down. But it's not, it's not as tasty. It's not as satisfying. All right? But apathy in our faith. Being in an apathetic place is just like that. It's just having a kind of middle of the road, don't really care type of attitude about the things of God. <clears throat> having apathy, it's this mindset will keep you from being transformed into the person that God designed for you to be with our unwillingness to obey. You realize you can be as close to God as you choose to be. You can be as spiritual as you choose to be. God can use you for amazing things, but it really comes down to this. Are you going to obey Him and trust him. Or, or are you just going to say, hey, I just kind of like where I'm at, kind of floating around in this gray area, being kind of happy that, eh, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll go to church on Wednesday night because I let us play basketball before, but the rest of the week, man, nah, I don't really care about the things of God. Well, I, I'll, I'll go on Sunday mornings just because mom gets me up out of the bed and, you know, or whatever. But the rest of the week, I, I really just don't care about this, this God thing. And an apathetic place is a dangerous place to be. Because Jesus has so much more for you than just apathy. In John chapter 14, I'm going to finish with this. That verse there, verse 6, the one we all know. And Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is doing here is he's declaring himself as the great I am. That was the way that he's declaring that he is God. The only path to heaven. The only measure of righteousness. The source of life. The Holy One who inhabits eternity. He wanted his, God, his disciples, his followers to know that, hey, I've got this. Trust in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. I'm all of it. And his guys didn't really even get in that time. We know that, hey, that last supper, they were, they were still frazzled. Even after all these words Jesus said to him. Jesus is betrayed. He's crucified. His guys bail on him. And they're like, man, what's going on? And then after his resurrection, even then he had to comfort them and remind them from several visits. But once they understood the truth of these words, that his, he's the one. 
He is the only one. Once they really got that, they became changed people. And because they became changed people, because they saw their Lord rose from the grave, man, it changed the world for forever. It's the reason we're doing what we're doing right now. Because they were changed. They were transformed. They, they followed the way. They followed the truth. They followed life. They followed Jesus. So let's finish off. What do you need to change in your life? What way are you following tonight? What's something that you're following in your life that's not of God? Maybe some friends that you need to get rid of in your life. Is it popularity and wanting to be noticed? You just say, hey, I just want to be known. Maybe it's the things you look at on the internet. Maybe it's a relationship that you know that that person doesn't know Jesus and they're pulling you away from it. Maybe it's sports. Maybe you made sports your God and you're just saying, I just want to be a good athlete. I just want to win. You see, pretty much everybody will say they want to transform and change things in their life, but not everyone is willing to invest it in the process. Say, so, yeah, I want to be different. I want to grow. I want to become better at something. But are you willing to do what it takes? You see, growth requires change. You see, there's going to be things that Jesus calls you to lay down. Like I said, Jesus saves you where you are, but he doesn't leave you where you are. As you're becoming more like Christ, because if anyone in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him for salvation, you can't just say, hey, Jesus, yeah, I like the whole going to heaven thing, but from this day forward, hey, I'm not giving up things that you might want me to give up. I'm still going to hang on to them, God. That's not how it works with Jesus. Jesus might be calling you to get rid of some things in your life, to lay some things down, to surrender some things at his feet. Christ change. Christ this. It requires obedience. Will you be obedient to let God change and transform you? Will you be obedient to hear from him? Will you be obedient to say yes? Every, like the, the, the faith, the, the faith of Christian the Christian faith, rather. It all boils down to obedience. Are you like not that we earn our salvation by obeying God, but if we have truly been saved, get this. This is paramount. If you've truly been saved, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians two. Yes, we can't earn our salvation, but the proof of our salvation from that day forward is our obedience. Is are you striving to obey Jesus Christ? And you're not going to get it right. I'm not going to get it right. We're going to stumble. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall. But where is your heart when it comes to obedience towards Christ? Do you really truly want to obey Him at all costs? Because that's what He means when He calls you, when He's Lord of your life. Maybe for some of you tonight, you need to lay some things down. You need to change some things in your life. You need to get rid of some things because you know, you know that Jesus is calling you to get rid of that in your life. You know that that's holding you back from all that God has from you. Maybe you need to do that time. Maybe you need to have somebody pray for you and somebody to help you as you walk through that. Maybe you're in here tonight and you take the very first step of faith and trusting in Him for salvation. Yes, there has to be a point where you trust in Him and repent of your sins and put your faith in Him. You're not going to be able to earn it in doing good things to earn your way to heaven, but man, it starts with trusting. It starts with, and then it leads to obedience. It leads to you becoming more like Jesus. But whatever it is, I hope you would do that tonight before we leave this place. Let's pray.